So, all right. Hello to, once again to all of y'all, all of our listeners out there in points throughout the American Cotton Belt from California to the Carolinas. We want to welcome you back to this episode, the 19th episode of the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast. We're happy to be here. We're happy that y'all are listening to us. Uh, Jim, I actually had Facebook remind me last week, as there, there's a new feature on Facebook where you can like click back on... Uh, what you were doing on this day through the years. Sort, and, of, sort of like USDA, right? Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Um, and the, on a day last week, I believe it was June 9 last week, um, it reminded me that I had made a Facebook post announcing the very first episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. It was new and edgy and exciting thing that we were bringing to the cotton market. So um, obviously... <laughs> Pretty much took the day off and partied all day as of one year. What did you do to celebrate Cotton Companion? Well, I can't say I can't say I took the day off to celebrate. I was <laughs> nor did I, was, I. I was actually astonished that it's already been a year since uh, since we did that. And uh, and boy, I sure do hope we've uh, we've gotten more comfortable and better with this than we did from uh, from that first episode. But but basically, I, I treated the day just like I do my birthday. I just acknowledge it, wave at it, and move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to be sure, I didn't. I didn't take the day off, uh, but a neat deal. We're glad. We're glad it's still around. We wouldn't still be doing it if we hadn't gained a little bit of a foothold. We're happy we have hundreds of y'all tuning in each week, and we hope to be growing that uh, listenership. Uh, the more we sort of, sort of plow ahead with this thing, we hope that y'all are helping out and uh, telling your buddies about us each week, especially as we get into production this season. Uh, we're a good thing to keep you entertained in the cab of the tractor as you head into uh, the 2016 growing season. So, all that said, today is Wednesday, June 15. The dog days of summer have certainly arrived around here. It's been hot and humid. Um, maybe they're arriving uh, throughout much of the belt at this point. You guys are done planning by and large by now. Um, I think I don't want to step on Jim's going to bring us a crop progress report, and I don't want to step on his toes. We do know that you're still out there making applications where necessary. You're putting some water on. I know that in parts of the Mid-South got a good rain just this week. I know that by, I feel like I've told you this before, Jim, when it rains around Leland, all of my knucklehead farmer buddies down there suddenly have spare time to send me all these nonsense texts and Facebook posts, political stuff, sports stuff. So I know that they're twiddling thumbs because they got a good rain did, down there. Did, did you warn them that we may take some of those posts and create, uh, like, for the next edition of the podcast? You know, grow, grower input from, uh, you know, from our listeners. Yeah, yeah, that would probably cut down on it a good bit uh, if I threatened them with that. So um, anyhow, we're, uh, we know that we're glad that y'all are getting rain. I know I actually read something the other day about a lot of the guys in East and South Texas getting so much this year that it's – they're in a conundrum. They they would never ask for less rain after the years that they've had. But it, yeah, for for those guys, we really hope the faucet's turned off at least for a few weeks. Yeah, there you go, there you go. So uh, we got a good show lined up for y'all today. We're going to start like always with Jim leading us in a discussion of the latest breaking cotton news from around the cotton globe. Um, news this week that is for a change by and large. Uh, good news. We had uh, I know we had the transform designation come through from EPA last week for certain Mid-South states. I don't think we're doing a news item about that, but that was certainly a, a relief for uh, some of our guys around here. No, I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Yeah, so uh, 
you guys can read about that on cottongrower.com if you'd like to. We're sure you've you're aware of it because that's certainly an important product for a lot of y'all. Um, yeah, I think we could hear from our office here in the, in the Memphis area. I think we heard a collective sigh. Yeah, yeah. From uh, from all five all five mid south states on right. that one. Finally catching a break. Um, we got a little bit of an update on some of these potential mergers that we've been talking about for the past couple of years, featuring Dow and Dupont uh, respectively, and then the other featuring Bear and Monsanto respectively. And then we're going to get into what uh, I think is the biggest news of the past week. Certainly another bit of very good news, and that was the arrival of the much-anticipated ginning cost share program, um, which our cotton grower, uh, vice president of red tape bureaucratic policy analysis, Mr. Jim Stedman, is going to uh, wade into because, you know, I would be worthless trying to explain. Are you, are you saying it just because I'm wearing a red shirt today? No, no not just because I'm glad you break down. <laughs> you know, you'll get into it, but it's... By uh, region, your average and the percentage that you get, I, I can't even adequately, jokingly describe it, so I'm glad we got Jim here who has read up on it and he's going to tell us a little more about it. Um, after that, uh, we have, a, I think he has another, a couple other news items he's going to bring you, but after we get through with that segment, we've got an interview we're going to bring y'all um, featuring a neat thing that's going on here in Memphis just this week, and that is that the National Council... National Cotton Council, rather, has uh, tabbed and brought in a lot of these guys from around the belt who are part of their Emerging Leaders program. And uh, Jim was over there just yesterday. That, If y'all don't know, the National Cotton Council's home offices are right down the road from us here uh, in the suburbs east of Memphis. And Jim uh, went over there just yesterday to speak with a lot of those guys. I feel like he came back really encouraged uh, by the by the types of, of guys they've got down there. And he conducted an interview with a couple of them. And uh, we're going to bring that to you here at the end of today's episode. Uh, for now, though, uh, we want to take a quick break, and uh, we want you to just hang around. We will be right back after this music break with the news of the day, so hang with us. Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back. As Beck said, we're going to get into our usual news segment uh, of the Cotton Companion for this, for this episode. Uh, and we're going to start, as we have for the last several episodes, with the USDA Crop Progress Reports. Uh, this would be the report that was issued uh, on June 12th, uh, looking at, uh, at the progress both in terms of planting, or in terms of planting, in terms of squaring, and we're now starting to get indications of the cotton condition throughout the, uh, the cotton belt. So let's jump right into that. Uh, as far as cotton planting, we, uh, this, uh, this season's crop, according to USDA, is now 89% planted. Uh, that's a 14% jump over the past week. And quite honestly, it's pretty much right on target with the five-year uh, average at this point. 
it's amazing what a, a week of dry weather and some uh, and some much needed heat units uh, were able to do with the uh, to the crop and also certainly with uh, with the the planting situation. Uh, we are for most part completely finished in in the majority of uh, of the cotton belt states. Uh, we're running a little bit behind in Kansas, in North Carolina, in Oklahoma, and still a little bit behind in Texas. And those primarily because those are the areas where it had the uh, the wettest and coolest weather over the over the past month. So those guys are playing catch up. Uh, talked to some folks yesterday uh, that assured me that a lot of growers on the on the rolling plains and the high plains of Texas are pushing hard uh, to get those last acres in before their insurance deadline. So. Uh, we have our fingers crossed for those folks and hope that we'll see you know numbers in the 90 percentile uh, when this report comes out next week. As far as squaring, uh, it's really, really early, obviously, because the cotton crop is, uh, is kind of all over the board at this point. Nationally, on average, we're looking at 13 percent of the crop is already squaring. Uh, that's a 6 percent jump over the past week and, right, and is right on the five-year average for this time of the year. Uh, cotton condition, we're still dealing with a, a lot of young cotton out there, even with some of the weather issues uh, and things like that. But overall, I would say the cotton, con the, the condition of this year's crop uh, at this point is in, uh, is in really good shape. We're looking at 53% uh, of the crop is rated uh, good to excellent, 38% of the crop is rated fair, and only 9% of the crop falls into that poor or very poor category. And quite honestly, that number is lower this week than it was the previous week. So we're seeing some cotton that, that might have been judged in trouble two weeks ago, starting to grow out of it and uh, and move back into a, a healthier plant state. Yeah. So I, I feel like I just read a, a headline out of West Texas just yesterday that was talking about how those guys are, you know, sort of, they don't know what to do themselves. They're optimistic at this point in the season. They've got uh, good stands up and, and everything looks good. So no, we're, we're certainly keeping our fingers crossed because, as we know, that's that's one of those parts of the regions of the country where uh, they might get a rain. But uh, as one grower I talked to said, we, we treat those rains as, as thinking it might be the last one we see for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Our next news item, actually uh, brand new this morning. Uh, USDA is looking for nominations for candidates to serve on the Cotton Board. Uh, they go through this process every year. Uh, this year they are looking to fill 17 member and 17 alternate positions for vacancies that represent cotton producers in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Missouri, New Mexico, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia as well as a few opening, openings for the uh, for people on the import side. Uh, these positions, uh, the terms for these positions will begin January 1st of 2017 and will end December 31st of 2019. So again, it fits right into that staggered three-year term uh, process that the Cotton Board has. Now the way this works, um, nominations are submitted by certified producer organizations and by certified importer organizations. And both all of these groups will caucus to nominate two qualified people for their respective states for each member and alternate member position. Once those nominations are in place, the Secretary of Agriculture then will review that list and make the selections for the Cotton Board. Uh, 
Obviously, if you're interested or know people who might be interested or would like to submit, would like more information on the process or would like to submit a nomination, uh, all of that information can be found on our website at cottongrower.com uh, under the headline USDA Seeks Cotton Board Nominees. Always, there are always opportunities to serve the industry. Yeah, and good folks over there at the Cotton Board, too. We, we see them often. Absolutely. I actually got an email from Stacy the other day over there. They're, they're uh, sort of media-facing. I'm not even sure what her official title is, but somehow through her PR role, media-facing role, she's trying to rope me into running the St. Jude race with those guys. Oh, as part of the cotton team. Yes, yeah. part of the cut. They do great work supporting uh, St. Jude through their marathon. And the cotton board puts together a big cotton team. I'm going way off topic here. Just want to say I can only and then, envision And this myself. is, of course, just for the 5K part. Well, that's what I, I don't know. If she like I can see myself coughing up a lung at the 5K. <laughs> Much more dire medical scenarios playing out if I tried to do, because I think some of those folks do like the half marathon or something. Yeah, there's some dedicated runners on that team. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and my hat off to them, because I can barely walk down the street without well, you know, without falling over wheezing. That's what I'm so. thinking. I may just stand on the side of the road and cheer as they go by. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, looking ahead and just kind of following up on some of the some of the discussions we've had over the last few episodes, uh, a few updates on some of our mergers and potential mergers that appear to be going on. Uh, looking at the Dow DuPont situation, first of all, uh, both companies, DuPont and Dow Chemical, are holding separate shareholder meetings uh, on July 20th to vote on the merger of those two companies. Uh, I think the optimism around that is still very, very high. Uh, the companies are moving ahead to put structures and leadership folks in place at this point, uh, and they still expect this deal to close in the second half of the year. Uh, and as to be expected, uh, you have several organizations such as American Antitrust Institute, the Food and Water Watch, National Farmers Union, uh, who are all urging the uh, U.S. Department of Justice to challenge the merger uh, basically on their normal concerns that further consolidation will create an already highly, will further consolidate an already highly concentrated industry and likely curtail innovation, raise prices, reduce cultivation choices for farmers, consumers, and the food system. I think we've heard these arguments before. Uh, and, and quite honestly, a challenge like this uh, is not a big surprise at this point. But uh, I'm sure the uh, Department of Justice, in their infinite wisdom, will uh, will look at all options and, and all situations and make their judgments uh, accordingly. But right now, it looks like the uh, you know we're just moving ahead. They're check they're checking off the boxes on the Dupont uh, Dow merger. Um, looking at the uh, the possibility of a potential Bayer Monsanto merger, like we talked about, and I think in our last episode. Uh, at that point, uh, Bayer had made a $62 million offer uh, for Monsanto. Uh, Monsanto thought about it for a few days, rejected the price, basically saying it was too low, but we still want to uh, still want to keep talking. So within the past week, Bayer has sent Monsanto a letter, uh, basically saying, "Yes, we're uh, you know here is our proposal. We're not changing our price at this point, but we're seeking due diligence." Uh, which is, is something that Monsanto is just not quite ready to get into at this point. And, and by due diligence, it basically means, from, from some of the analysts looking at it, uh, 
Monsanto is probably seeking a, a, a higher price, which they should, uh, but Bayer's unlikely to move on its offer until it gets a look at Monsanto's books. So uh, you basically have Monsanto wanting a higher price before they let them take a look at the books. Uh, Bayer wants to look at the books before they offer a higher price. So uh, as one analyst uh, described it, it's a, it's a high-level high game of chicken at this point. Uh, you have two uh, proud companies that are trying to put a major deal together. Uh, I think the, uh, the reality is that both companies want this to work. Uh, so, but at the same time, we'll just sort of sit back and see how this process plays out. Uh, the general feeling in the industry or among, or among financial analysts at this point is uh, at some point they will come to the table uh, and work out these differences and see if they can make this process move ahead. And finally, a uh, little information about the, uh, the program that Beck mentioned earlier today, uh, the USDA Cotton Ginning Cost Share Program that was announced uh, on June 6th, uh, basically to provide $300 million in cost share assistant payments to cotton producers uh, in order basically to expand and maintain domestic marketing of cotton. Uh, this, the program is, uh, is basically designed to help offset some of the ginning costs for growers uh, in theory. Uh, the, the basic premise on this being if you can't gin your cotton or can't afford to gin your cotton, then we certainly don't have any cotton to market. Uh, and, uh, and the fact that USDA and the Secretary of Agriculture were able to put, pull this program through another, I believe it's the Commodity Credit Corporation, which relies on uh, basic, basically covered marketing programs. So they're, they're classifying this as a marketing program. Now, the details on this, even though USDA issues a lot of words when, uh, when they start talking about these programs, uh, here's the basics on it. Uh, Eligible producers can get a one-time cost share payment, and that's an emphasis on this is one time. This is a one-year program based on their 2015 cotton acres that were reported to, to uh, FSA, to the Farm Service uh, Agency. Those acres multiplied by 40% of the average ginning cost for each production region. region. Um, they have... Uh, before they announced this program, they put a lot of the processes in place uh, in order to make this very simple for growers to take advantage of. Uh, the application process is real, uh, is real straightforward. Uh, it's, the program estimates the cost based on, on the planting of cotton in 2015. Uh, local FSA offices already have this information for the vast majority of eligible producers and applications are going to be pre-populated with existing data. So uh, a grower basically will need to contact his, uh, his local FSA office, uh, take a look at the information that has been pre-populated into uh, this application, and approve it. Uh, if it's uh, after approval, uh, payments are going to be processed as applications are received. The sign-up period for this begins next Monday, that's June 20th, and runs through August 5th. Uh, it's a 45-day period that growers have to, uh, to get this, these applications in. There will be no extensions on this program. Uh, USDA has made that very clear uh, in conversations I had with folks at the National Cotton Council who helped develop this program. 
uh, they've made it very clear that there will be no extensions. So you've got 45 days from June 20th to August 5th to, uh, to, get, your, uh, to get your applications in. There are the same eligibility requirements used for the 2014 Cotton Transition Assistance Program, which means there's a $40,000 produce, per producer payment limit. Uh, you have to be actively involved in farming. You've got to have all of your conservation uh, measures in compliance. And, uh, and I think there's a uh, adjusted gross limit, income limit per farm uh, of $900,000. Uh, so basically, if you fall within those categories, uh, you're good to go on this. Now, talked about the, uh, the payment calculations on this, and uh, let, me, let me see if I can put this in, in more elementary terms because, you know, I'm certainly not an economist. Yeah, I'm going to need the elementary version. Okay. Uh, payments are going to be calculated this way. Your certified acres times that regional payment rate basically will give you your payment. Now, if you are a partner on a farm or a partner in this crop, then you will also, there'll be a multiplier in there times your share of the crop. So in, in essence, these regional payment rates, uh, which reflect the regional costs of ginning, uh, USDA and the National Cotton Council have already calculated what your regional payment rate will be, uh, and these, this is the 40% cost of those rates. If you're in the southeast states, that would be Alabama, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia, uh, that rate is $47.44 per acre. If you are in the Mid-South, in Arkansas, Louisiana, Boot Hill, Missouri, Mississippi, or West Tennessee, that cost is $56.26 per acre. In the Southwest, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, uh, it's $36.97 per acre. And out in the Western states, Arizona, California, New Mexico, that cost is $97.41 per acre. So if, uh, if, you can do, if you can do the mental math at this point uh, and, and and get a rough idea of calculating your cotton acres, your certified cotton acres uh, that are currently on file with FSA, multiply it by these regional numbers or your respective regional number, should give you some idea of, of what kind of payment you can get on this. I'm just sitting here thinking of those guys who are on the Texas-New Mexico border. You know, I mean, that's neighbors, you know, there's not, that's, it's, mm -hmm. They're right there. You know, some of those guys right on the border are a five-minute drive from their neighbors who are on the in the other state, and that's a sixty-dollar difference per acre. I guess it all depends on what state they get their cotton ginned. Oh and, yeah, that's a good. That's a good. You know, where's where's the where's the closest gin? Yeah, man, that's that's tough. That's one of those things where maybe some of those guys in far far west, you know, hour half west of Lubbock, there might just go find a gin on the other side of the state line this year. I don't know. Um, I'm, like I say, I'm glad you broke all that down. Uh, I'll say uh, kudos where kudos are due here. Um, on this podcast and elsewhere, uh, I believe I had a column actually just several months ago where I kind of called Vil Tom Vilsack out about, you know, running from this oil seed issue uh, where when he really had – it was – I felt like that situation was teed up for him to step in 
sign a document and and do some good for U.S. agriculture. And I felt like he shirked away from it. And I kind of gave him some crap about that. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't think Tom Vilsack ever read the column <laughs> of Cotton Grower Magazine. Well, it's been, we haven't received his response yet. Right. right. But um, it, he did say at that time, and there were politicians who said at that time, that they were going to find something, they, they were searching for something else that they could do. Mm-hmm. To to be sure, he said that at the time. Yeah, he was not going to abandon the cotton market. He right. was just looking for another alternative. Yeah, and, and, to, and at that time, I'm talking to grower buddies of mine or grower contacts of mine from around the belt who were very upset. There were a lot of people who had pinned their hopes to that oilseed designation, and people were sour about it. And, and there were a lot of political undertones to those feelings too, because this is someone who was appointed by a Democratic uh, presidential appointment, uh, part of that cabinet. You know, to be frank, guys, a lot of these folks who we hear from, you know, that was strike one against them going into that uh, situation. To his credit, they did turn around. It's a, you talked about how they went through the some sort of commodity marketing. Commodity credit corporation. Credit mm-hmm. corporation. I mean, that's getting creative to find something to bring a little bit of relief. And to be blunt here, I don't know how much of a relief. That, I feel like it's something. I feel like it's a, you know, in times like these, you take what you can get to be sure. Um, I would love to hear feedback from our listeners, from our readers uh, what this Jenning cost share program means to them. I know that Jim put a story together in our July issue, which should be hitting your mailboxes here in a few weeks. Um, a lot of the feedback from the national and state cotton associations was very positive about it. Isn't that right? It's very positive. I spoke with a Jenner yesterday over at the, when I was over at the National Cotton Council as part of this this Emerging Leaders Program, and, and I just point blank at point blank asked him, "What's this program going to mean for for Jenners and for the producers in your area?" And he says, really and truly, it's, it could be the difference between, you know, making it or not making it yeah. this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, over, he's in North Carolina. It's an area, you know, they're, in his part of the state, the, the crop is looking good. In other parts of Carolinas, they've had too much rain. Uh, crop's kind of spotty. It's trying to grow out of, uh, of some wet conditions. Uh, but he says, realistically, this is the kind of thing that will make, you know, that will push things to the positive side for this year. Yeah. And that's always good to hear that you could you can sense some relief in people's voices at this point. Yeah. Uh good to hear. You know, I mean I, I don't know what else to say other than like, man, this is good. This is it's nice to have some good news. Well and, and I think when, when the secretary stepped back from the oil seed designation and said they was going to try to find something else to help the industry, uh, it appeared his goal was I want to find something that that will not require reopening the farm bill or going back to Congress and asking for permission. He didn't want to get the legislative side involved in this again. And that, to his credit, or to the USDA's credit, uh, again, very creative going in looking for situations where they can make a designation, and in this case, tying it to commodity marketing. it it was uh, as some people said it's not quite what we wanted, but we'll we're happy to take it. Yeah. At this point, I feel like there's a, there's definitely a feeling out there. Uh, I'm going out on a limb saying this, but my long term, short term viewpoint as far as this commodity market, which is informed by the 
economists who we listen to and, and listening to Joe Nicosia and O.A. Cleveland often during the wintertime, considering what's going on in China, and I know I'm like really broadening this, I'm going 50,000 feet up right now, but what I'm saying is it feels like if we can get through 2016, prices are going to start to kind of inch north from where they are now. Like we are, we have found our floor mm-hmm. is uh, – is how I how I my head feels and certainly how my heart feels. I want us to I want our growers to have better prices moving forward. But what I'm getting at here is 2016 feels like if we can just make it through this year, you know, the sun's going to come out tomorrow. And so something like this that comes along, like you say, you're, the margin's so thin. You talk to guys who say this is going to help us stay in the black this year. Mm-hmm. It's good news, man. Like again, it like, I sound news. like a broken record here, but good. You know, I'm happy for our readers that this came I, along. Yeah, I, I think for once, you know, when, when you step back and look at everything the, the cotton U.S. cotton markets had to deal with in the past year, six months to a year, uh, I had one grower, you know, tell me it's like, we just feel like we're being piled on at yeah. this point. This kind of relieves some of that pressure. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, and helps, and helps folk makes, folks make some decisions to move ahead. Uh, again, I think the optimism level is is certainly better moving into 2017. Uh, from all aspects, we're all we all have our fingers crossed that that everything holds and, and continue continues in the direction it is at this point. But uh, we were certainly happy to see this this uh, nice optimistic move. There you go. All right, uh, we want to hold up the the cost sharing talk right there. I think you had one last item that we're going to kind of use by way of setting up this interview that you conducted over at the Emerging Leaders Program, or, or mm-hmm. not necessarily an item, but just uh, tell us a little bit about that Emerging Leaders Program. Okay, the Emerging uh, National Cotton Council runs several programs throughout the year for uh, for grower involvement and grower education. And one of these is the uh, their Emerging Leaders Program, uh, which is was established in uh, 2013. Uh, it's supported by a grant to the Cotton Foundation from Monsanto. Uh, this year, they have 12 uh, U.S. cotton industry members, and these are folks from all across the cotton belt, from, from East Coast to West Coast. Uh, bright people, uh, very intelligent, very sharp uh, individuals. I had to, again, like Beck said, I had the opportunity to meet with them yesterday uh, in, in a little bit of, uh, of media training and uh and, and, yeah, to, and to be sure, our, our council friends asked Jim to come over to give these guys some media <laughs> training as if, you know, he was Woodward or we're Woodward and Burt, like we were really going to be bulldogs and grill them in an interview. Right. <laughs> yeah. We whimpered more like puppy on, on <laughs> yeah. that one. But, uh, yeah. but basically the program is put in place to, uh, to give these, these individuals who have already been basically been identified as potential future leaders for the cotton industry, give them a better understanding how the council works, you know, how it carries out its mission, uh, making sure the seven segments are competing uh, effectively and profitably in the, in the market. Uh, it gives them an in-depth look at the industry infrastructure, the issues impacting the industry, uh, the U.S. political process. They will be actually going to Washington next spring to spend a week in Washington uh, working with uh, the council's uh, D.C.-based folks to really see how the political process works. That's always an eye-opening situation. Uh, they find out how the council implements uh, its activities, uh, 
what Cotton Council International is doing. So basically, it's a year-long education process that started this week with uh, with the preliminary meetings uh, here in Memphis and also up in St. Louis. Uh, during the session, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, to sit down with two of this year's participants and uh, and do a quick interview with them. Uh, both of them very, very bright guys. I think have a, a great future in, uh, in the cotton industry leadership. Uh, met with Stephen Meeks, who is a, uh, a cotton grower, producer out of uh, Scraven, Georgia, out of South Georgia. And Andrew Clark, uh, a cotton producer, along with other crops, uh, out of Clovis, California. So we're able to get the East Coast, West Coast perspective on this. Uh, it was a good interview. Uh, it won't take a whole lot of your time, but I hope uh, I hope you'll listen to what these guys say and take a listen to, to some of the things they say, and, and I think it will give you some encouragement over the future for the future of the industry. Very good, very cool. Okay, so we're going to take a quick music break here, and when we come back on the other side, we'll bring you Jim's uh, interview with these guys at the Emerging Leaders Program. So stick around. Welcome back to the Cotton Companion. We're here in Memphis today uh, talking with some folks with the National Cotton Council's Emerging Leaders Program class for 2016 and 17. Uh, joining me today uh, is Andrew Clark, he's a producer from Clovis, California, and Stephen Meeks, a, uh, a cotton producer from uh, Scraven, Georgia. Scraven. Scraven. I was close. I was close. I've spent a lot of time in South Georgia, but never exactly sure how that was that was pronounced. Uh, so, gentlemen, thank you for joining joining us today. Thanks for having, Thanks for having us. Okay, uh, Stephen, let's start with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your farming operation. I, uh, I we're a uh, tobacco, cotton, and peanut producer. Uh, our family operation in southeast Georgia, uh, including some timber. Uh, begin. We farm with my uh, my wife's father. And, uh, and her family, mm -hmm. and uh, so it's uh, genuinely a family operation. How many acres? We uh, we will farm uh, all together around 3,500, 4,000 acres. And how many of that in cotton? Uh, about 2,000 plus mm -hmm. peanuts, and then uh, then tobacco. And the year so far is going how? Uh, it's uh, well, <laughs> started out great. We uh, we've had six plus inches of rain in the past four weeks, uh, so we've actually got a little wet. We've got a little bit of planting left to do. Uh, but uh, hopefully we can get that done this week and get it all finished up. But uh, but otherwise it's looking pretty good. Sounds great, Andrew. You're uh, you're at the opposite end of the country. Yes. Uh, totally different type of farming operation than what we would find in South Georgia. Tell us a little bit about your your operation and what the things that you're doing. Okay. Yeah, I'm in uh, Fresno County uh, in in Central Valley, California, and I farm uh, roughly 1,500 acres of mostly vegetables, but uh, but also some Pima cotton. Uh, and a little bit of pistachios as well. Okay, how many how many acres of Pima? Because again, most of our listeners, you know, they know about Pima, but don't really know about Pima. Yeah, uh, this year I have about 200 acres, 180, 200 acres in that in that ballpark. Okay, and what generally again yields on Pimas are generally what? What do you consider a good yield? Well, if Three, we need three bales. We need three bales. If we don't get three bales, we won't grow it. And mm -hmm. so uh, between three and four bales is kind of the, the average out there. Okay. Sounds good. Um, you're part of this program, the Emerging Leaders Program for this year. Uh, tell me how you learned about the program. 
was this something you did voluntarily? Were you encouraged to be part of the program? Uh, was this a volunteer effort or, or were you drafted into this? Stephen? Well, I don't know about Andrew. I was drafted. <laughs> um, yeah, I was nominated to be a part of the program, and, uh, and I'm grateful and humbled that I was selected to be a part of the 2016-2017 Emerging Leaders class. Um, I've had the opportunity to be involved in agriculture and agriculture policy all of my career, and uh, I, I, I always uh, take a step back and think through who's going to be our next generation of leaders, mm -hmm. and uh, we're grateful uh, that someone saw that uh, that uh, that in me and uh, gave me an opportunity to apply uh, to be uh, to become a participant in the program. Okay, Andrew, you're over in an area that that has a rich history of participation. How did you get involved with with the program? Yeah, I was sort of drafted as well. There's a there's a couple individuals. One uh, Roger Isom from uh, California Cotton Growers, and then uh, also Mike Brueggemann from uh, National Cotton Council. Both. Uh, uh, referred me to this program and and uh, and here I am and it's it's been an honor to be selected and I'm glad to be here. Have you have you learned anything so far? You've you've been at this for what three days now? Yeah, it's actually just really one day, well, one night and uh, two nights and one day. But I've learned a tremendous amount. Yesterday was a full day and uh, it's it's been a whirlwind and and it continues throughout this week. So. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Yeah. What was kind of your your first reaction, Stephen, when when they said, uh, you know, or when you got into this program and and actually had to get on the plane or or whatever to uh, to make this first trip? Well, at this time of the year, obviously, there's a lot going on at home, and it's like, okay, I really don't have time to do this, but I also know how important it is mm -hmm. uh, to really go be a part of the organization, uh, to be a part of this group in particularly, and learning more about how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. The cotton industry and, and the National Cotton Council has done such a tremendous job of bringing everybody together from all segments of the industry uh, to speak with one voice, and not every organization or commodity can say that. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's a great opportunity to le really dig down and, and, and know exactly where the pieces of the puzzle fit that, uh, that will make it all work. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say thanks to uh, Monsanto uh, for the support of this program with the Cotton Council uh, um, kind of heading it up. Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed sitting in the room with, with you two and, and the rest of the group, it's a pretty diverse group, uh, represented pretty much with all the, the geographies, most of the major segments of, of the industry, including the warehousing right. and the co-op side of it, uh, and even the cottonseed side, which, which really and truly is, is kind of unique uh, to a lot, of, uh, a lot of farming organizations. Um, You've got a couple of other sessions coming up as part of this program, uh, not until early next year, so hopefully you can get everything in out of, out of you can go back and do what you're supposed to do and, and come back. Uh, what are you hoping to learn in these, uh, the next sessions that are coming up? I think the next one would be what, the, the annual meeting, annual correct? Meeting. Yes, yes, Andrew, that's correct. What do you? Yeah, so we, uh, we go to the, the National Cotton Council annual meeting in uh, February, I believe, and then we'll make a trip to D.C. a few months after that in calendar year 2017. Um, you know, my main objective is in this whole program is, is to understand the policy making process a little better and, and hopefully find a way that not only my individual voice, but, you know, my area and, and California ag can have a voice as well as the entire cotton industry, of course, um, have a voice in that policy making. Okay. Stephen, uh, next year you're, we're going to be, you're going to be going to Washington following an election. Uh, 
it could be it could be very interesting when when you get there. What uh, what are you kind of expecting? Well, it, uh, it it certainly will be interesting one way or another uh, when when we arrive in D.C. next year. And the great thing about this organization is we all speak agriculture. We're all about agriculture, whether it's pistachios, whether it's uh, onions, whether it's peanuts, cotton, tobacco, whatever it may be. We're all about agriculture. And uh, with a diverse group that we have here today, and uh, or with, within this program of really understanding everyone's issues, that we can all go to Washington and speak with with one with one united voice. Uh, we all know that foreign policy has always been regional, um, but we we're probably going to have to get to a place to where it's not quite as regional battles as it once was. We're getting uh, fewer and fewer members in, in Washington that understand agriculture, and uh, we're going to have to uh, to ramp up our efforts and, and really being together. Uh, so that we can succeed in, in what we need in foreign policy. Sounds great. Gentlemen, I know you've uh, there's more program to come and, and I need to let you get back to it. I certainly appreciate your time in this. Uh, we, we, as the Cotton Grower Organization, will do our best to stay in touch with you. Uh, if you see anything that you feel like we need to be covering, please uh, please reach out and let us let us know. Uh, and we look forward to working with you, uh, not only through this program, but through other leadership roles uh, in the industry as we move ahead. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for the time today. All right. Thank you. And uh, we'll be right back with the Cotton Companion right after this short break. So, all right. That'll just about do it for this, the 19th installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, we... We thank you sincerely for joining us once again. If you like what you're hearing, by all means, as I always tell you guys, tell your farmer buddies about us. Um, tell them about this podcast, and if they want to know how to reach us, you can tell them about these three easy ways. Number one, simply go to cottongrower.com. There's a search bar on the top right of that homepage, and type in Cotton Companion into that search bar. It'll bring you to a landing page where all of our... our most all of our most recent podcasts are featured. Um, the podcasts are listed there by title and episode number. So if you see something in the title or the title or the episode description that strikes your fancy, you can pull that one up. They're all stored there for prosperity or posterity. Prosperity too. Maybe that was a Freudian slip. It'll help you make some money. Um, and you guys can uh, can check them all out there. The second way to find us. Subscribe to our channel on iTunes. Uh, if you're familiar with your smartphone, you know about the iTunes app that already exists there. You can go ahead, open that app up, type the Cotton Companion in the search bar, and it'll our little blue and yellow look, un, unmistakable Cotton Grower logo will pop up, and you can click there to subscribe. Once you do that, leave us a rating. Let us know what you think of our pod. We would truly appreciate it. The third way, the best way, in my opinion, to, get, to make sure you're receiving each installment of the Cotton Companion podcast is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. Uh, Jim works hard each week to pack that thing with all of the relevant news of the day. Um, and it's just an, it's an e-newsletter. It arrives in your email inbox every Tuesday morning like clockwork. Sometimes it'll show up on Thursday mornings as well. Uh, you can do that by simply going to www.cottongrower.com, easy for me to say. Scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll see a clickable uh, link there to subscribe to the e-newsletter. It's really very simple. Also, uh, make sure you're following us on your social media outlets. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Cotton Grower Mag. 
And on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Uh, reach out to us once you're there, too. We love interacting with our readers uh, on those platforms. We hope that you're enjoying our latest issue, which at this point is the May issue. You will find our next one, which is a combined June-July issue, in your mailbox in that second week of July here in a few weeks. So um, we uh, are looking forward to that one reaching your mailboxes. This podcast is produced by Mr. Mark Antonelli. He works up at the Mothership, Maestro Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks on the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stebman here, we wish you and your farm all the best.